0: On this week's edition of Soaring to New Heights, we're going to take an in-depth look back at the season that was for the Hawthorne AFLW team in their inaugural season of the AFLW, being Season 8. Enjoy the podcast. Hello Hawks fans and welcome to another edition of Soaring to New Heights, which is the AFLW podcast looking at the Hawthorne AFLW team in their inaugural season. This week's episode we are going to be doing a review of the season, of the first season for the Hawthorne AFLW team and we are joined by regular co-host Liam. Liam, how are you going today? I'm very well
1: Tim, how are you and I hope you're okay after
0: what you've had over the last few days and weeks. Yes, no, feeling much better. Went down with a a bout of of COVID and then ended up with a a few days in hospital, but we're on the mend now, which is fantastic. So to look at the... That's that's,
1: also why we've been slightly delayed in getting this out to
0: you guys as well, So That is correct. So this normally would go out on a Monday morning. It will now be going out on a wednesday afternoon however uh, there are some things we'll be able to talk about at the end of this podcast that hadn't been announced on sunday evening when we normally record so that is one positive about what we have had uh, this week so liam we're going to start looking at the very beginning round one so round one saw us taking on the red and black team as you like to refer to them at a game that was moved from etu stadium in port melbourne with a capacity crowd of between eight to ten thousand where facilities are not overly fantastic and we've moved to marvel stadium unfortunately first game we, we did lose the first game but lots of memorable moments and in particular making history for the hawthorne football club yeah
1: 21 women throw their names into hawthorne history became the first 21 people to wear a Hawthorne jumper in the AFLW. And, you know, you were on the ground with your two daughters at, for the Guard of Honour, and I was I was in the stands on the wing watching. And it was an incredible moment seeing our club really feel complete, to be honest. You know, we've, we've, I can speak that I've only probably had a passing interest in the AFLW because there's been no Hawthorne team. I've watched it and all that, but only in passing because... There's no Hawthorne team. You simply don't care as much. But seeing a Hawthorne team out there, it was really incredible to see. And for three quarters, we gave a very highly touted team for an expansion side a really, really good shake. And then at the end of the day, they have a Matty for Sparkus. We don't. That was ultimately the difference.
0: As you said, it was a very tight contest between the two new expansion teams. Obviously, The rivalry between both clubs as well had been played up in the lead-up to the very first game, which was wonderful. That's correct. That's exactly why it got moved, because of the fanfare around it. First game was also Caitlin Ashmore's 50th AFLW game, which was fantastic. And we saw the emergence of our Tiny T. So the first time we got to see our two Tiny T's playing together, so Tamara Smith, who'd plied her trade at Richmond and also at Geelong in the VFLW, She made her Hawthorne debut, her AFLW debut. Amazingly, we were the
1: only club to speak to her, as listeners would
0: know. Which is, you look at that and go, that's amazing that Hawthorne was the only club that spoke to her. We're very grateful that Hawthorne is the only club that spoke to her. On the evening, Liam, the two tiny tees, 17 tackles between them. And I reckon that that's probably the average that they had throughout the season. Yeah, they were both, I think,
1: eight games, so that's what 16.7 per game so yeah pretty much pretty yeah, pretty bang on average like, and look average in a good way they were ferocious and you know, we've made numerous jokes which may not be as hyperbolic as we thought based on an interview with Tamara but um yeah they kept the pressure up they they do they play a really important role in the midfield
0: as uh, someone else also played a really important role in the midfield that night That's correct, and that would be Jasmine Fleming, who we know has now gone on to be one of the NAB Rising Star nominees and certainly has to be one of the hot favourites to take out that prestigious award. On the night, though, there were also others who were impressive in their inaugural display for the Hawthorne AFLW team and also playing some of those playing in their first ever game of AFLW. We had Catherine Brown, we had Eliza Shannon, and then we had our experienced a hand from Tamara Luke, who featured quite heavily in this game in the Ruck.
1: Yeah, and um, we'll talk a bit more about her when we talk about the next round for very different reasons. But she was very strong in that, that game. As was Lou Stevenson, another player I think we need to talk about that night. No one was expecting her to go on the ball. But she did. Did so with greater aplomb. Basically, the equation was almost as simple as if she's there, we win. If she's there, we don't. She's not, we don't. Sorry, it pretty much worked out like that. And in fact, as, as I said in the interview crossover with Talking Hawks that I did with her a couple of weeks ago, uh, my dad in the first five minutes, that number 12, gun footy player. So, yeah, she also, and again, we'll talk about her as well in round two, for rather unfortunate reasons, but she was also an exceptional performer on the night as well. I think she needed to be mentioned.
0: As you said, it was quite a shock seeing her in the midfield in her time at GWS. She had been used as a halfback flanker. And as you mentioned during your interview with her alongside the gentleman from Talking Hawks, she spoke about how previously her game had been won, not one on contested possessions.
1: Yeah, um, that changed completely, as she said to Daz and I. Uh, yeah, and she showed she's more than capable of it. But um, yeah, so other than that, Sophie Locke kicked the first goal in Hawthorne history in the AFLW. We're not glossing over it. That may or may not be getting mentioned when we do another podcast in a few days' time. Uh, Sarah Perkins also with another big moment, her first goal in the jumper that she supported her whole life, having just lost, I think it was an uncle from memory. And Zoe Barbacos as well, zipping around the forward line, creating havoc, annoying everything that moved and kicking two goals so despite the result which kind of blew out a bit at the end overall a pretty strong display and a a very a more than adequate start to our journey in the competition
0: that is correct now we'll move on to round two where conditions couldn't be more different if they tried well they could have been
1: what we dealt with in round
0: They could have been. We'll get to that soon. But conditions, obviously, a lot different for the game against St Kilda. So we went from playing a Saturday night game underneath the roof at Marvel Stadium where the ball was zipping around. We know the quality of the disposals was incredibly high on that day. We moved to round two, played at Box Hill City Oval, so the first of our home games at Box Hill City Oval for the season. Played on a Sunday afternoon, late Sunday afternoon start quite windy in terms of the conditions, and we saw the Hawthorne debut of Kate McCarthy.
1: Uh, yeah, she became the 22nd person to wear a Hawthorne jumper in the AFLW. Although, unfortunately, it's not a day we have a lot positive to write about. I know you try and find as many positives as possible, such as, you know, we've got Aileen Gilroy's first goal, the Tiny T's laying 19 tackles between them, uh, Lucy Wales standing up, in very adverse circumstances, which, which we'll talk about in a sec. But it was a miserable day with a 53-point belting at the hands of a team who only won three games, all against expansion teams. And we lost two key players within the first quarter, one of whom played a bit in the second, Lou Stevenson, on a fractured ankle. But we lost. We had two all-but-season-ending injuries to key players in the first quarter. We lost by nine goals against a team that could only beat expansion teams. It was somewhat of a day to forget. I
0: would suggest. Yeah, it wasn't our best outing. In terms of the effort, though, the effort certainly, once again, could never be doubted. And that's something that we know from the team throughout the whole season. That effort was certainly on display. Now, you were talking about Lucy Wales before. The very first bounce of the game, so we're talking in the first five minutes, Tamara Luke contested the ruck contest and unfortunately tore her ACL. And that was it. She was out for the game, which meant Lucy Wales, who at that stage had played one AFLW game, made her AFLW debut in round one against Essendon, was then thrown to the wolves, basically. Thrown to g- the sharks,
1: I prefer to say. Thrown
0: to the sharks. And that's where we, I guess, the star of Lucy Wales was born.
1: Yeah. Um, there's a reason I wrote a piece on Talking Hawks called A Star Is Born, which I wrote after round five. I think it came out after round six from memory. In fact, it did, because there was a big chat, then Hey, we wrote the piece, and then she, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, she acquitted herself remarkably well against, I'm going to say this again, I said it when I interviewed her, and I've said it a couple of times, two former All-Australians. That was her opponents. They were her opponents. And she acquitted herself more than adequately, completely up against it, older, more experienced, more mature bodies, in a position that... I'll bang on about a lot, does take a lot of time to mature into, and she absolutely thrives. And I also just want to quickly call out the AFLW app here. You were blatantly wrong on the centre clearance data. Um, I would actually encourage you to re-watch that game, as I have done multiple times to track that data, and uh, yeah, just uh, actually watch it, instead of just what seemingly it, seemingly, it was seemingly blind data entry on the centre bounces.
0: Yeah, in terms of the AFLW app, in terms of the statistics that are taken, it can be very hit and miss, to say the least. So we'll move on now from our round two game to, to round three against Richmond. Now, in terms of this one, we saw a 35-point loss. Wet day at Punt Road. Started off with quite nice conditions. Very competitive from our team throughout the whole game against the Richmond team. Liam, that just turned out to be pretty darn good.
1: And saw how well they were able to get on top of it after quarter time i thought mm, this might be a long season like they might have been on to like all the experts might have been onto something in terms of both might struggle a lot this season and at times we did it was a young expansion team to be expected however it turned out richmond were a fair bit better than i thought that would be and yeah at the end of the day sometimes you just come up against a really really good team um, there were a few changes that day as well,
0: Ginny. Yeah, so we saw Laura Elliott, we saw Bridie Hipwell, and we saw Izzy Porter make their AFLW debut. And then we also saw Ainsley Kemp make her Hawthorne debut for the game. And Laura Elliott was a late inclusion because Big Mac, Mackenzie Eardley, went down with a knee injury in the warm-up.
1: Uh, yeah, she, I, I think I sent your message from like the game saying, hey, she's doing a fit- hey Mac's doing a fitness test here, watch out for something. And um, turned out she was out with a knee and dress. I think the message I sent you was, you know, Mac knee heavily strapped, doing fitness tests, clearly checking it.
0: And that saw Laura's debut. And we know Laura went on to play a fair few games for Hawthorne throughout the season, which was wonderful for her. We also saw Charlotte Baskerin, otherwise known as Carol, kick our first goal in the first quarter. Also Charlotte's first goal in AFLW, which was great. And then the Mayo Marvel was on display, and it's fair to say, Liam, I think she played every position on the day except for in the ruck. Uh,
1: Yeah, and thankfully she wasn't playing in the ruck. She's um, not exactly ruck-sized, but um, she was brilliant. 17 disposals, 12 tackles, probably broke the meters game tracker. I just said it because I forgot to check when I broke this rundown. Um, uh, She was... I I struggle to find enough words to talk about how impressive she was, and... That's another game we might be
0: talking about in a few days' time. I'll leave it at that for now. In that game, we also saw Caitlin Ashmore's incredible work rate. Once again, breaking GPSs everywhere she went.
1: We saw that nine times this season.
0: That is correct. We certainly did see it nine times throughout the season. Uh, In this game, we also had Tilly Lucas-Rod recording seven clearances. Now, when we did the Soaring to New Heights and Talking Hawks crossover podcast where we interviewed Tilly, she spoke about coming to Hawthorne to be given more midfield time. And certainly in this game, being able to have those seven clearances proved why she is so fantastic in the midfield. Yeah, um, really
1: displays display. She, her and Tamara Tamara Smith also had their lowest combined tackle count for the season, being 13. So that's a respectable tackle count in shortened games for two players, full stop. But to think that was their lowest, that just shows how lucky we are to have our two tiny tees. And by the way, Hawthorne, feel free to sign them to longer-term contracts. I, I know people at the club listen to this. So.
0: Absolutely. I think they're doing the exit interviews this week, so hopefully there's a few contracts with uh, 2023, 24, 25 written on them to get them to Great. sign up. That's can, it. add
1: more years if you want. Um, well, I know actually know a properly
0: so we'll move on to round four where we played against another one of the finalists this time against the western bulldogs this was in our home game second home game at the box hill city oval this one saw a 30 point defeat now to say it was wet would be an understatement we're talking biblical rain proportion i'm pretty sure to get there from melton lamb i had to take noah's ark
1: I sent you a message. When I left my house, it was a beautiful morning that day as well. I sent you a message saying, if not a cloud in the sky. I could see the radar looked bleak, but yeah, you know, it looked like parts were missing. It's also, there was a bit coming as we could see, but you know, it was like, mm. at, the, at the moment, it's okay. By the time I get to Box Hill City Oval, and I live a ten minute drive from Box Hill City Oval, it was yeah, it was all coming down. Every everything that could fall out of the sky seemingly was, and it basically didn't relent for an hour and a half at least. And I mean, you and I were standing there under a shade cloth with the Bunnings umbrella while your, your two little daughters are running around everywhere.
0: That was, <clears throat> that was it, absolutely. So in terms of conditions, conditions weren't great uh, for the girls on this day, but they fought and scrapped. Quarter time, it was nil all. But the effort, the relentless effort against a team that had Ellie Blackburn and Kirsty Lamb, who are pretty damn good at football, was unreal.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, again, I'll, men- I'll mention the tiny tackle counts here. Yes, I did put this on the rundown for every week by the way, so you will hear it more. Um, combined, they laid 18 tackles. This week, it was Tamara's work turn to do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of tackles. She laid 13 on her own, which was quite a remarkable effort. Uh, other things to note, Anya McDonough debuted, uh, I would not call them favourable conditions for a tall forward in their first game of footy. She looked impressive, laid three tackles, had a- Effort was phenomenal, but kind of hard to judge a tall forward in their first game in those conditions. Um, Jazz Fleming, I think we need to talk about
0: her display. Yes, this is where Jazz really announced herself to the competition, and we'd seen glimpses throughout the first three rounds of how impressive Jazz was going to be. This round, 25 disposals, six clearances, three tackles, looked absolutely unreal in conditions that, in terms of speed, try usually when it rains and those type of conditions that girls played in, brings everyone back to the pack. But Jazz was bursting out of contests, those clearances. She looked absolutely phenomenal. Should have been rewarded with a NAB Rising Star nomination for this round. However, it didn't come. That,
1: that created issues the next week as well, which we'll talk about later throughout the podcast. But that, that created some issues the next week as well, I would argue.
0: But there were certainly some clear signs in terms of the progress that the team were making. This was the fourth game in a row, Liam, that we won the tackle count. And we'll harp on about this because we know that defensively, the effort that the girls put in without possession of the the pill was absolutely amazing. Yeah,
1: this team, I think there were 39 quarters for the season where we'd never questioned their effort. But the one where we could, we are about to talk about
0: right now. And that comes in round five against the Swans. So this was an away game played in Melbourne at Punt Road. Grand final grand final eve. So sellout crowd, which was the first second time, second time they played in front of the sellout crowd. First time being against Richmond back in round number three. And on this occasion, we saw a win for our team. Five goals five thirty-five to five goals one thirty-one. But at quarter time, Lamb, I think it would be fair to say we did not think we were going to get close.
1: Uh no, and I think they Beck, if they were going to keep that up. Um, from both the interviews we've had with the two tiny T's, as well as the interview with Ornia, which is going to be embedded at some point within this episode, I call where that fits a Tim problem. Um, it would be fair to describe that fake as being ferocious and offensive. Uh, you talked about it before we managed to get the collaborative work together. You'd be sacked if you spoke like that in a classroom as a primary
0: school teacher. Yes, absolutely. If you used any type of the language that Beck used, even the tone that was used, I don't think I would be teaching on Monday if that was the case. We saw another debut for the club, this time Emily Everest, who came in as one of our key backs. Now, in this game, Liam, as we said, the Swans got out to a very handy lead in the first quarter. Quarter two, quarter three, we pegged them back, actually hit the lead in quarter three. And then in quarter number four, I think it's fair to say that most Hawthorne supporters had no fingernails left. Uh,
1: no, it was a very tense last quarter. But the play, our players all stood up. You know, Tiny T is 20 tackles combined for the game. You know, Big Boy kicked three goals and was crucial. We'll, we'll talk about another role she played in a second. Uh, Lucy Wales, that, this is where I thought the star of Lucy Wales was truly born, and ignoring the, the Leo Barrios mark even at the end of the first quarter, which kept in the game, her chase down tackle in the last three minutes, and her contested mark from a in the last minute, like, as much as anyone, as not, that's not to mention even a effort going up, and Jazz both sprinting 100 metres to either save a goal or force the ball out of play, like, the effort was unbelievable in, in all four quarters, in all, all, all three quarters, really, um, but in that last quarter especially, just to hold on and to keep the Swans out. Yeah, it was some of the most incredible defensive footy
0: I've seen in a long time watching Hawthorne. Yeah, the effort was unreal, especially that defensive pressure that the girls showed on the night, as you touched on, Jazz and Akesh with their 100-metre sprints to save a goal. And we know that that goal that Akesh saved was very, very vital at the end. But let's talk about Gilly's goal, the goal that got us in front. And it was the first time that Hawthorne had been in front throughout the whole season. It started off down at halfback where Tamara Smith, with the ball in hand, left foot, kicks it out to space. And we know from when we spoke to her, she spoke about having the confidence to kick to space for those players up forward who had speed. Kicked it out to space. Big boy put on the afterburners, used her wheels, picked up the ball one-handed, was then able, as she picked it up one-handed, handballed it off to Akesh. Akesh sprinted through, so broke the lines, dummied, sold a beautiful bit of candy. Then kicked long to open space and gilly put on the afterburners and then in true gilly fashion kicked around the corner with a snapshot straight through.
1: Yeah, it, it was that was one of the most incredible passages of play I've seen. And I've watched sport I'm twenty three, I've watched on my whole life. That is as good as that is almost as good as I've seen and that includes from the three peak teams, quite frankly. That that passage of play was some seriously, seriously clinical football. But And I talked about it on Twitter during the Round 10 game. Once Gilly can turn it into a track
0: meet, it really is game over. Absolutely. Her and Big Boy as well, the two of them, absolute speedsters. The jets that they have on them, unreal. This game, we, we saw Jasmine Fleming finally be rewarded in terms of the NAB Rising Star nomination. And it's fair to say, Liam, at the end of the game, the scenes when the siren went, the girls tasting their first ever victory, Hawthorne receiving their first ever victory in the AFLW was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, that's what, that's one way of describing it. It was, it was incredible to watch. It was an incredible moment to be there for as well. Like, just when you're watching that and seeing the reaction, not just on the ground, but off the ground as well from supporters when the siren went. Um, it, it's something you'll remember for a long time as a Hawthorne supporter, being there, watching them, watching that, and just hearing that siren go. It's, yeah, it was... Hard to describe in words.
0: So it's our job to do, so. I think it's fair to say too that, in terms of the family club, as we like to call ourselves, that was the first victory for the newest member of our family club, and that stands out. Absolutely. Then we that's moved. we, we Yeah, that's it. We moved to round six, and another victory, two in a row. Another Friday night thriller. It was, and this is where we started to get the moniker for the team of the Night Thrillers, because in this round, it was 6 goals 8, 48 to 6 goals 5, and fair to say that this was an unbelievable game to watch. First home game down at Frankston, incredibly windy in terms of conditions, but that sunset, unbelievable. We saw the debut of Jenna Richardson. So I believe off the top of my head, Liam, this took us to number uh, 28, 29, that's it. Number 29 in terms of the <laughs> debuts from the season yeah. and another slow start. Yep. Not,
1: not as bad. This one was at least excusable to win in part because West Coast had the wind advantage because Tilly could not win a toss all season. Uh, in fact, I might even at the end. The statistical chance of that, by the way, were about 4 in 10,000 because I
0: did the maths on that. That's unbelievable. Um, you work that out. That's a huge, huge effort from Tilly <laughs> to be able to lose uh, all 10 of the tosses throughout the year. But after the slow start, it's fair to say quarter two, the girls absolutely lit the park up and Soggy stole the show.
1: He did. Three goals in a quarter. Um... To West Coast Eagles, you don't need to about. It, she's retired. Um, maybe don't take Jess Duffin forward. Like, don't swing an extra player behind the ball when someone as good as Jess Duffin, who's low, who's BFLW resume as a forward, is rivalled by fear. Uh, maybe don't drag her forward because that that tactical manoeuvre backfired spectacularly. She kicked three and a quarter, complete turn the game, and really, you could argue, was the difference or close to it between the two sides, that one quarter
0: of football that she played. Yeah, it was a huge effort by Duff on the night. We also saw Talia Fellows, Anya McDonough, and Tilly Lucas-Rodd kick the other goals. And this evening, Liam, between the two tiny T's, 17 tackles.
1: Yeah, standard.
0: Stock standard game between the two of them there. On the evening, we also had... Gilly, Flemo and Sophie Locke amongst our other strong performers. Lucy Wales had a huge game in the Ruck, this time against another young Ruck star.
1: Yep, yeah, two, two people who should have been in the 22 under 22 squad, in my opinion, as someone who demands justice for Rucks at all times, as you all well know. But, yeah, it was an incredible battle. Lucy laid seven tackles, and I, I thought actually, on balance, probably beat Lekay because of that. She offered a lot more around the ground. Sarah McKay probably won more hit outs on balance. She's a bit bigger. But I thought Lucy, to be honest, probably torched her around the ground. I'd almost be that strong with it. So Lucy, again, impressive. Although another young player, Mackenzie Eadley, also really started to stand for authority. she speak in terms of players who progressed throughout the season. She um kind of announced herself in this game as well.
0: Yeah, Big Mac started to take some huge marks, especially when we needed her. Her defensive work, the defensive ploys that she started to show were fantastic. And her kicking, herself Catherine. and Ca- herself and Catherine Brown, the two of those from our back line, being able to kick the ball 50, 55, 60 metres at ease, certainly is a positive to have in our side. Uh, those
1: who haven't maybe watch as much of our women's team and have watched a lot of our men's team. Think Sicily and Scrimshaw in terms of that right foot, left foot crossing over, slingshots out of the back line. Because so that's pretty much what we have with those two as well.
0: Absolutely. And we're very lucky to have them in our side. We now move on to round seven where we made it a hat-trick. We did. Hat-trick. You know, hat-trick of win. So we played another home game down in Frankston. Now this time it was on a Saturday evening and we couldn't call ourselves the Thrillers because this one was a bit further away in terms of the result. It wasn't as close as the previous two had been. Uh, this one saw Hawthorne winning 4 goals five twenty-nine to 1 goal 10-16 against Port Adelaide, another expansion team. Now, looking at it, if you had not watched the game, you'd go 1 goal 10. Geez, Port should have romped away with the game. However, it was actually where the Hawthorne defenders had made the Port Adelaide players take their shots from. That, yep. co- that caused that kicking.
1: Yep. Aaron Phillips, again, I would love to see, we, we said this on a lost podcast due, due to audio issues. I would love to see an expected goals metric, which I know exists, for Port Adelaide that night because I actually don't think it would have been that high because I saw, you know, Aaron Phillips, zero goals, three. Why did she kick zero goals, three? Because Jenna Richardson played an unbelievable second game of AFLW football, forced her to lead wide, forced her into tough spots, Said, okay, you're going to take X, Y, Z number of marks, but you're going to take them where I want you to take them, and you're not going to have high quality shots. And then the day, you back your rucks in, you back your, you back your midfield to get down and support and keep, keep them out of the middle. That's what we did. And in the end, bad kicking is bad football. We took our chances, we forced them into bad kicking, and we won the game as a result.
0: It was a pretty special game as well, Liam. It was our captain, so captain courageous, Tilly Lucas Rod. Played game number 50, where she kicked a captain's goal, which was quite important. We saw Anya McDonald, McDonough, uh, we also saw Bridie Hipwell, and Sophie Locke kick goals, and it was Bridie's first ever goal in the AFLW, which was fantastic. In terms of Anya, Anya announced herself on this evening. Not only did she kick the goal, but she also had five marks and was quite influential in passages throughout the game as well.
1: Yeah, um, there's a reason after that week that, again, I'll plug the article I wrote it about Anya. Like that's, I wrote that article about the two Irish woman, largely prompted, and I, I told Anya this in the interview. So, you've either heard the interview that we've embedded in this episode, or you haven't. We haven't worked out that that part yet. But she really announced herself in this game. Three of those five marks she took were contested. She took them at crucial times, and really, really announced herself to the AFLW as I'm here. I can play this game. You're gonna have you're gonna have a lot to worry about for a long time.
0: She did a fantastic job on the night, as did our captain, to Lucas Rod, Caitlin Ashmore, and also Lucy Wales. Uh, we were standouts on the evening. Now between the tiny tees, seventeen tackles between them, and because of how even the game was, when we did the soaring to new heights, best and fairest voting, very very difficult game.
1: Yeah, I think you, you and I, and we won't reveal this yet because we've got the awards night in a few days. We had a, we both had a clear top three that we agreed on in the order and everything that was. To me, the top three were really quick to do. And then I had five or six players who I would not have argued with ordering them in any way. I don't, I don't know if you were the same. There like were five or six players. I was like, "You,
0: really? I, I must have changed it 10 times on the drive home in my head. Yeah, very, that- very, very difficult to be able because of the, uh, the evenness of the game to be able to do justice in terms of those votes. Now, that's where the winning... Ended for us, unfortunately, but we're still going to touch on the last three games. Round eight saw us play our first ever interstate away game against the GWS Giants, and it saw us with a one point loss. Uh, sorry, yeah, one point loss, four goals, 10 uh, to the Giants, to our five goals, three. And look, to be honest, this game, in terms of the Giants kicking, their inaccuracy let them down massively and kept us in the game.
1: Can actually, we can actually say they were inaccurate rather than we forced them into bad shots as much as anything else and at the henson health hazard which i will continue to issue drive-bys to um the team they weren't impressed like of every interview i've listened to they thought they were lucky to be within a point uh, i'm not one to criticize athletes unless it's really obvious so i find it difficult to criticize the effort and maybe the execution was a bit dim i can say that to be honest uh at the end of the day though alice parker was the difference between the teams Plain and simple, she was the difference
0: between the two teams. Yeah, that's correct. On the day, we saw Duff, Bridie Hipwell, Arnie McDonough, Big Boy, and also Akesh kick goals. Now, Akesh's goal somehow was not the winner of the AFLW goal of the week, which I have no idea how that was even possible. So, Akesh pressured in the forward line, balls kicked out to the right-hand pocket so the right back pocket for the defensive team Akesh won the race picked the ball up sold the candy and then from the most acute angle kicked the goals that not only was she celebrating with her teammates and overjoyed by the effort that she put in my two kids so Evie and Penny were jumping for joy almost brought the uh, almost brought the roof down of the house and then we find out later on that week doesn't win goal of the week how's it possible
1: I've made meter left foot bomb from the boundary line which in the same game which might explain. look I voted for Akesh because I'm biased, but that was um on a day where goal kicking was woeful it was um some pretty impressive finishes as well.
0: Yeah it was an unbelievable finish from Akesh who used those dancing feet that we know she has to be able to kick that goal. We saw Eliza Shannon return from concussion and the courage she showed, especially in the last quarter GWS were about to kick a goal that would have put them in front and with one last diving lunge, Eliza not only interrupted the goal but won a free kick for holding the ball. For a player coming back from concussion, very easily could have said, no, it's not my turn but that's not Eliza's way.
1: No, um, incredible incredible performance given that she'd just come back from concussion which you can never be too careful with obviously as an injury, but She was among our most impressive players. Again, another relatively even game. Jenna Richardson blanketed Cora Staunton. Again, I made a joke on a lost podcast that Richo's on fire. Cora Staunton's terrified. It turns out I was dead right. But the hot and cold Giants were, unfortunately, got a bit hot in the Sydney heat.
0: That was the first time the girls had played in those warm conditions so if we think about in the lead up to this they'd played the nighttime games in frankston during the end of winter beginning of spring so still quite coolish conditions and then found themselves playing out at henson park over in newtown in the quite warm sydney heat yeah it doesn't help
1: when you have the change room situation they were dealing with and the facilities they had to put up with which were completely
0: unacceptable that's correct. This game, we saw the Tiny T's make 14 tackles combined between them, so still putting in a huge effort. We now move to round nine where we took on another of the AFLW finalists in the Brisbane Lions. And I'm always optimistic, Liam, as you know, Mr. Optimistic over here. I, I did think that this was going to be a tougher game for us and the final result did prove that way with the Lions taking out a 54-point win in our last home game at Frankston for the se- for the, the season. We did see, however, Janet Baird making it 30 out of 30, becoming the 30th person to pull on the AFLW jumper for the Hawthorne Football Club. Yeah, um,
1: commendable effort for the club to get all in. Janet, congratulations again. We've said on the show before, but, you know, forever the 30th player to represent in Hawthorne in the AFLW. But, um, yeah, that Brisbane team are pretty good. That like, was our first lost tackle count all season. And I think I, I said to you on this podcast, off mic, and just in general, even on Twitter, that their tackles per minute out of possession must be the most ridiculous number that's ever existed.
0: Yeah. It'd be breaking calculators almost like Caitlin Ashmore breaks a GPS units.
1: Oh, uh, yeah.
0: In this game, we saw Jesse Wardlaw, who became a real hard matchup for the Hawthorne team, especially with Big Mac being out with a broken hand. So obviously with Mackenzie Eardley out, we were looking for a combination of size and athleticism to be able to match Jesse Wardlaw. Unfortunately, uh, we did struggle with that matchup. So we had Tegan Cunningham, who'd come back from her own foot injury, being played down back. Yes,
1: struggled as a team to deal with Jessie maybe a bit kind. She's she is an unbelievable footballer. And Tegan really, really good player. But Jesse's mobility, especially with Tegan coming off a foot injury, was just it was to be honest, it was a sight to behold watching Jesse Wardlaw at work and reminded me of someone who once played for Hawthorne in my early child in my childhood. And you're probably late teens and early 20s because you're 10 years older
0: than me, who now plays in Sydney. Definitely not Ben McGlynn you're talking about, though.
1: Uh, no, he's a, he's a bit taller than Ben McGlynn. I've seen Ben McGlynn. He's very small.
0: <laughs> now, Jess Duffin kicked our only goal for the evening. Between the two tiny T's, Liam, they made the 18 tackles. Uh, we also saw Flemo, Akesh, Pendles, and also Tilly Lucas-Rod among the standouts on the evening. And I think it's fair to say that we could not question the effort from the team in this game, even though the final scoreline was a bit bigger than what we'd hoped for. Uh,
1: no, effort never in question, but it'll take time. Like, when you and I spoke, it might take three, four, five years to get up towards where, like, Brisbane have been playing in this competition for six years, seven seasons. You know, they're more experienced bodies, they're more mature bodies. They've had more pre under their belts. And to be honest, that difference in quality and cohesion, it showed. Like, we have talent, but we have very young talent. There's a lot coming through, which we can, can, and be, can be and are very excited about, but it will take a few years, in all likelihood.
0: We also have to remember that our team, Liam, had eight weeks between the draft and their first game. So in terms of what the team were able to achieve throughout the season... mammoth effort. And now it takes us to... We're not not disputing any of that. We're we're just saying Brisbane are pretty damn good. That's correct. Now this brings us to the last game of the season. So round 10, where we took on Frio over in Perth in our second interstate away game for the season. And unfortunately, it saw us with a close loss. So we lost seven goals, 749 to seven goals, 244. In Jess Duffin, in Soggy's Swansong and as we said, unfortunately, we were not quite able to prevail on the evening. We yeah. did, Yeah, we, we saw two players from Freo who had some huge games, huge influence on the game that, unfortunately, at the end of the evening proved to be the difference. So we had Anya Tai and also Kiara Bowers. Anya Tai, it was almost a case of deja vu
1: from the week before with Wardlaw in terms of too big and then too mobile and a smaller... More mobile play went onto her. Well, sorry, the other way around, but you get my point.
0: Kick the yeah, kick the four goals.
1: Again, those two, plain and simple, were the difference between the two teams. Although I'll, I'll quickly address one of our standout players, and that was Anya McDonagh. We'll talk about the others in a sec. Anya tied reminded to me was that that's what Anya McDonald will become in a, over the next couple of years. That that's to me what I saw. That size, that mobility, that athleticism, and that skill. That to me. You give Anya McDonough a year or two being around Australian football, playing it a bit more, that's what you're heading towards.
0: We have to remember, Anya McDonald's has only played the seven AFLW games.
1: Seven competitive games of Australian rules football, let alone seven AFLW games. Seven this, competitive games of the sport. Yeah,
0: so it's an unbelievable effort that she has been able to put in for this season. Now, we spoke about those two players from Freo being the difference. I think it's also fair to say, Liam, that in terms of our team structure and lineup, we saw huge exodus in terms of that youth that we'd seen throughout the season because of Year 12 exams.
1: Yeah, I um, think we had five players in Year 12. Four of them had exam commitments. Charlotte Bassgram was able to play because of a different timetable, as we spoke about when we did the match with Tamara Smith. But, yeah, we saw some more experienced players come in, back in. We also saw Bridget Deed come back in. And she, her first half, and we, we talk about this more in the match review, obviously, she was exceptional in the first half. And if I were to put – I'm not a betting man, but if I were to put money on a most improved award for next season, she would be right near the top of that list for me. Her short-range kicking is unbelievable. Is probably, I would say, the best at the club for anyone – for any kick under 30 metres, I'd be backing her over anyone else. And that's no slight on the other players. She's just really good, by the way. But, but yeah, like, if she can just build out a few more parts of her game, she – her scope for development in the next, in the short term is, to me, as good as anyone's on our list.
0: Absolutely. Now, speaking of that, in terms of that development, we spoke briefly about Charlotte Baskaran on the evening. Now, Carol kicked one of the goals, but with Jasmine Fleming out of the midfield because of commitments with Year 12 exams, Charlotte Baskaran took that opportunity by the scruff of the neck, and she was pivotal, especially in our comeback in the last quarter where we were kicking against the breeze. She took the game on. Beautiful moment where she burst out of the middle, had a bounce. The ball didn't quite go where she wanted it, was able to recover, handballed it off, and Duff kicked a goal that gave us an opportunity to possibly eke out a win. Yeah.
1: um, She, she stood up. She showed that, you know, She's still 17, by the way. She doesn't turn 18 until next month. So she, again, showing just how much talent we have in our young players. That if we give them a few years to develop and to, act, to mature into, you know, bigger bodies, stronger bodies, more pre than half of one. Um, we've got some special, special footballers in our list, and Charlotte Basquin is one of them. And she showed it.
0: That's correct. Also played the 10 games, so she played in every game that we had this season, which is huge for a 17-year-old. For a 17-year-old, that's unbelievable to be able to do that while also doing her final year of schooling. So now if we look at the season on a whole, some really big positives that came out from it. We saw the support from the men's program. So we saw Sammy Mitchell down there helping out in terms of coaching. So we saw him down on the bench that day, round four against the Western Bulldogs in the pelting down rain. So he was down there. And
1: she was always there with his his two daughters as well. It was really... I was quite impressed to see that support from our senior men's coach and how much of the whole club approach he's embracing.
0: Which is wonderful because, as we know, they the AFLW team are part of our club. And they're not separate. They are part of it. And we're incorporated in it, which is wonderful. We also saw Mitch Lewis, John Newcomb. We saw Lockie Bramble and CJ Down helping out, and also at the games supporting as well. And special mention must go to Noodle, who was down helping out with some game practice. Yeah, he
1: was. He was at numerous games, and mind you, was not that hard to miss. I'm sure other players were there too. He's really he's at a spot. Um, he yeah, as you, you said in your interview with Tilly, he was helping out with training. Um, Tilly, by the way, if you listen to us. Rucks, we are not good at Boundary throwings, We just know what they should look like. It doesn't mean we're good at, th- at executing them. Um, yeah, so, yeah, anyway, enough of me refuting criticism of Rucks. I'll do that off enough anyway. Um, <laughs> but he, his support, <clears throat> to me, really has to be commended. Like His involvement, his support, really showing that we've not just got a talented Ruckman in our men's team. We've got a really good human being as well.
0: And it's about having club people, so people around the club who are doing phenomenal things, which is wonderful. In terms of the backline, we know Brady Gray, who was the backline coach. Throughout the season, there was certainly a different mix of youth and also experience. We know Duff started off down back before being swung forward throughout the season, and she's now retired. We saw Tegan Cunningham used as a key defender when in previous seasons had not been used as a key defender. And back. So. But we also saw the emergence of some of our young guns, as we were talking about before. We had Mackenzie Eardley. We also had Jenna Richardson, who looked absolutely fantastic down the back. We had moments from Laura Elliott throughout the season where she was playing down on that halfback flank as well. And I think it's fair to say the future of our back line looks quite strong.
1: Yeah. Um, you've got Sherpa and Mack as your two key pillars. You may want a bit more size down there down the line, but that's uh, future Hawthorne's problem a little bit. Um, Jenna, kind of, again, people who watch our men's team think Blake Hardwick that anyone under a certain height, you just take the best of them and say, here you go, Jenna's going to lock you out, Jenna's going to shut you out of the game. But yeah, that, that back line needs a bit of time, needs some work. Obviously, they're all very young and have never played together before. And... Had a lot of different players thrown down there due to injuries, and you know, Eliza Shannon this time with a concussion, etc., etc. But to me, the back line, like, kind of like the men's team, looks like we've got a really solid foundation for a long time there.
0: Absolutely. We also forgot to mention Kath Brown in terms of that big, booming boot that she has, especially oh, from kick ins.
1: Yeah, that's that, almost a kick and a half, like especially when she gets the extra five, ten meters running out of the square. Like, it's two kicks going back
0: which is wonderful. It's a great asset to have in terms of our team. Through the midfield, David Mackay throughout the year used a fair few different combinations, probably some more forced upon him due to injuries in that round two game against St Kilda. But the future looks quite bright. If we think about Lucy Wales, the way she was able to step up in terms of the ruck, we had Tilly lucas Rod, who was given prominence in terms of the midfield position, which is why she signed on. At Hawthorne for this season, and then we had the emergence of some of our young guns like Jazz Fleming, also Charlotte Baskaran, and Tamara Smith. The future looks bright for our midfield. It,
1: it does. Um, you know, Tilly's only twenty six. She tended one hundred and eleven out of the hundred and thirty one centre bounds that had results, so she she led the way there. I think actually, I think Lucy wound up with more playing the amount of game time she played in the ruck. I'd have to run the numbers on that, but. Yeah, you know, I look through here. You know, Tyllex Rod twenty six, Tamara Smith twenty two, Jasmine Fleming just turned eighteen last week. Charlotte Baskaran, seventeen, Bridget Deed nineteen. You know, Lou Stevenson even only twenty seven. Like this is a a midfield that's going to grow together for a long, long time, and there's a lot of talent there. And, you know, I look at some of the combinations. Even I'll give you um I'll give you one example a, a three a rover combination that attended twenty times for. Uh, where is it? 10 wins, 3 draws, 7 losses, which is well above team average. That was two Lucas Rod, Jazz Fleming, and Charlotte Bascarin That kind of combination, and a lot of the Fleming and Deed pairings are really strong as well. Uh, five wins, three losses for the eight they attended together but as a pairing. There's a lot of really, really strong-looking combinations in that midfield. And Dave and whoever else coached the midfield down the line, uh, they've got a lot to work with. and. Probably not going to take too much to shape this midfield into something pretty special beyond time, which unfortunately, we are like that's something that we can't speed up. But there's a lot there.
0: That's correct. And we, when we're speaking about the midfield, we didn't even touch on players who played through the wing, like Caitlin Ashmore, who had an absolutely wonderful season. Akesh, who was moved to the wing after playing most of her time at halfback in her previous seasons at AFLW. And then we didn't even touch on Aileen Gilroy as well, who played through the midfield through spurts of games as well. So the talent we have going through that middle part of the ground for the Hawthorne AFLW team, as you said, there is only positives in terms of what will be able to be achieved when we have more pre-seasons and then obviously more time working as a group to be able to build those connections. And then the last place we look at in terms of on-field is the forward line. So Lou Watton had some, I guess it would be fair to say, had some challenges throughout this season in terms of the connection at times between the midfield and the forward line throughout some of the games. But we saw some things that worked really, really well. We had our Mosquito fleet. So we had Zoe Barbacos and Dom Carbone who were able to add pressure. We saw Anya McDonough come through as a, a key forward. Using not only her size but also her speed to be able to break apart games, Talia Fellows continued to grow. And we know that Big Boy had been the rising star winner in the VFLW, but as the season continued, we saw how wonderful she was at the higher level as well. So lots of positives in terms of our forward line. Absolutely, there's
1: a lot, a lot to take away from our forward line. And look. If I had to pick a line that needed the most work, I would probably say it's the forward line, especially with Tegan getting older, just up and retiring. And we weren't the highest scoring team, but in part that's due to some of the opponents we had at different times. But there's a lot to work, there's a lot to work with as a starting point. And I, I do think, you know, especially you know, with Anya McDonagh, you can build a forward line. You can start to build a forward line around it. You know, Bridie Hipwell will be able to get a bit more of a season together. She was interrupted a couple of times throughout the season with exams and other commitments. So there are some foundations there. Again, if I had to pick a line that needs the most work, it's probably that one, but there's a lot there as a starting point that's laying some groundwork for a very, very bright future. But again, we just need time. This is a very young list. that's not very experienced. Give them a few years and they will be soaring to new heights.
0: As we spoke about in terms of what they'll be able to achieve in the future, if we think about what they were able to achieve throughout this season, the improvement that was shown was absolutely phenomenal. Beginning of the season, I think it was five or six out of the eight AFLW experts who spoke about who would be bottom of the, the table. Hawthorne was picked by five or six of those experts, and they said they won't win a game, similar to Richmond in their inaugural season. And to you, there we go. We proved you wrong
1: smart footy and the improvement that we and we saw some incredible improvement in performance throughout the season as well and look we have to note it's hard to judge accurately at times because opponent strength varied quite widely you know we went from playing sydney port and west coast in three weeks to two weeks later playing brisbane uh just just quite i think i, I don't think you can combine those three teams to
0: make a best 21 that would beat brisbane Yeah, certainly with the peculiarities of the AFLW draw, we saw playing some of those teams who were expansion teams or teams that were the lesser lights of the competition. And then we also saw our team competing against the best of the best, which is what you want, because it gives you a really good gauge as to where you are at. Now, that brings us to the end of this episode, but before we leave, Liam, we'll talk about a few things. We're now up on Apple and Google Podcasts as well, so wherever you're listening to, whether it be on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Google, wherever, please make sure you like us. Follow us and give us a rating. It's always nice to know what people are thinking of the show. In Terms of socials: if you go on to Instagram and also Twitter and Facebook, we're up there at the moment. So once again, please make sure you like our page. Facebook is soaring to new heights. Page and Twitter and Instagram is at HFC Saw. We have access to those accounts well. I've,
1: I've been doing a lot of the work initially, but Tim will be getting on there soon. Hopefully, we both so we both are we both are there. We will both be running that account that we both have access to, so one of us will be engaging
0: quite often probably. <laughs> That's it. We'll have our awards night coming up very, very soon where we will announce our winner of the Soaring to New Heights best and fairest, along with a cavalcade of awards looking at recognizing the wonderful work from our team throughout this season. And then, as we said, because we're recording this a bit later on, Liam, in the week, there's been some news.
1: Uh, yeah, so we'll just quickly touch on some Talking Hawks stuff and then we'll talk about 22 under 22, which might get me going for a while. Um, Talking Hawks have got some terrific draft content, both the draft that you were involved in with our historic men's players and the AFL men's draft soon. There's got, they've got some content coming out on that. So if you don't follow Talking Hawks, I'd encourage you all to do so. Three very interesting drafts going through the history of our um, illustrious history of the men's team. So have a listen to that. Uh, there are some articles coming out and some other stuff. right to that soon as well. Uh, if you go on to Talking Hawks' YouTube channel, there's also an interview with Jazz Fleming, which I'd encourage you all to check out. It's a really good interview. Unfortunately, Tim was a late withdrawal due to being in the health and safety protocols. So, but still, Matt from Talking Hawks and his daughter, in the end, it was it involved in helping out a bit. It was a really, really good interview with some insight on the player who was somehow the only nominee in the 22 under
0: 22 squad. Yeah, the only Hawthorne player to be in the 22 under 22 squad and not even in the position that she played throughout the season.
1: Yeah, pretty much the only position other than the ruck she didn't play is where she got
0: named. Very interesting. I was saying to Liam that I went on to have a look to make my team because Jasmine Fleming was going to be the first player picked. And I looked under midfield, her name was not there. Looked under half forward, name was not there. Looked on the interchange bench, name was not there. And then finally went to the back line where she was named. So the 22 under 22, it's good to see that you are applying the same logic that the AFL teams use when they are picking out their team of the year. So when the All-Australians are picking out their teams, it's good to know you're using the same Strategy in terms of let's just put players wherever we want.
1: Yeah, and Jazz absolutely deserves to be in that team. She, she's not; it will be absurd. But yeah, you know, how Charlotte Basquiat and friend of the show Lucy Wales? Yes, I bang on about Lucy Wales all the time. She damn well deserves that, and I will keep doing so. Um, how those two didn't even make that squad to me is absolutely absurd. Like they were two of the most impressive performers. Under, at, in any age you want in this competition, you know? Lucy Wales pretty much rucked solo for nine weeks and more often than not was beating more experienced and better and more more seasoned opponents. You know, Charlotte Baskarin played every game, was consistently among Hawthorne's best players. To me, yes, I get it, okay? There's a lot of really, really good talent under the age of 22. You know, you see Matty Prosparcus, you see Jesse Wardlaw, and you, see, you can't believe some of them are still under 22. But nonetheless, the fact that those two weren't in there and that Jazz Fleming was named in the back line, the one position she didn't play other than the ruck. Let's just say I was scratching my head when I got home today from um, doing some VEC training.
0: Yeah, certainly some very interesting selection there in terms of positions for the 22 under 22. Now that brings us to the end of this episode of Soaring to New Heights. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, go the hooks.